Welcome to Halton Police, The True Blue. I'm Jason Agnew. My guest today, Halton Regional Police Service Chief, Stephen Tanner. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? It's great to be here. Hey, thanks for doing this with us today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. So we're here to talk about you, if that's all right. We can do that. Certainly. All right. Well, I mean, listen, tell us about you because, you know, you are someone that has been uh, chief of police for a long while, along with that, been working in policing for a longer time than that. But was it always a desire for you? You know, really funny. It wasn't. uh, I always tell people, sometimes, you know, kids know when they're in grade five or six, they want to be a police officer. I actually grew up, I went to the University of Guelph to be a veterinarian of all things. Uh, Took a lot of different courses there, extremely difficult program to get into. One thing led to another. I looked at law school. I got into law school the day before I got hired by the Halton Police. So I had to make a decision and I chose policing and sort of never looked back. I'm curious, though. I mean, you went from veterinary to potentially being a lawyer. What that's that's a bizarre route to take. Like what drew you and what had you make that decision? Yeah, you know, I think you you look at a lot of different things that you're taking in university and what you're actually interested in when you get there and what it takes to get to the actual career that you might have envisioned for yourself. And then I think you get to a point where you've finished four years of university. Do I want to do another four years? I had had enough of school really at that time, went back to it many years later. Um, but I think it was the, the right decision. I look back now and absolutely no regrets. Yeah, I think you're doing okay. It's, you know, it's been a good 40, almost 41 years. Well, so when you got into the force, though, um, was it always the intention to move along up the ranks and head for the chief position? Or were you happy in what you were doing initially and other people kind of ushered you this way? Yeah, you know, I think you get into it and you start to enjoy what you're doing. I mean, Frontline Patrol was awesome. I had an incredible coach officer named Bill Henshaw. Uh, He was a member of the tactical rescue unit even at the time. So he kind of guided me along into that uh, aspect of policing. I got to enjoy that for five or six years way back in the 80s when we were a part-time team. It's so different now. Um, And I I remember meeting Jim Harding, fantastic uh, ahead of his time police leader. And he came in to speak to us the first day, September 13th, 1982. Uh, to talk to us about policing and what was important. I think there was a little bit of a light switch that went on, like maybe someday you could be the chief. Um, but in the meantime, there were so many things to enjoy. It's such a multifaceted profession. You can have six or eight or 10 careers all in your 30 or 35 years for most people. So it, it's just fascinating. Has it been halting all the way through? No, it hasn't. I took a little bit of a different route. Um, I actually started here in 1982 and, uh, You know, I I always say I had my uniform time, my tactical team experience. Uh, I went into the detective office early, the intelligence unit. I was promoted. I was a sergeant. I ran the the training bureau for a year, went back and supervised investigations. And around 1996, um, I'd done a fair bit of sexual assault investigations and a a number of different things. And I had an opportunity to become a polygraph examiner. Uh, So I became a polygraphist. Uh, polygraph forensic lie detector person and worked in the homicides unit here. And I was sort of starting to think, what's next? Uh, I went back to school to start my master's and I noticed that they were looking for a deputy chief in Guelph at the time. I was a sergeant working in the homicide unit and I applied and I got the job. Um, so in 1998, I actually walked out of the Halton Police, one of the scariest days of my life. What am I doing? Uh, and went to Guelph and 
about a year and a half later, I was in Belleville as the deputy, and then I was the chief there for many years, and then on to Kingston. Um, so I was here for 16 years, and I was gone for 16 years. And now I've been back for 10, and uh, it's it's been a fun ride. Well, every place you go, you know, you mentioned there were, there were different kind of stations that you made your way to, different regions. Is it hard to go in as a new personality and a new boss to all of these officers? So I never thought of it as being difficult. There's definitely challenges and there's a lot of opportunities because you can, you can have a look at what the organization has or doesn't have, personalities, the camps. Um, and there certainly are different people in different organizations who are leading the way to make that organization great. And there's others that are holding it back. Uh, and there's people that are disappointed because when you show up coming in as a chief from outside, it means someone internally did not get the chief's job. So you have got all those different things to contend with. But I think it is actually advantageous because you can actually have a clean look at the organization uh, with a fresh set of eyes and you get to know the people and their strengths and weaknesses, and you can build the team that ultimately can help the organization move forward. So it's kind of funny because you mentioned fresh set of eyes, but for Halton, you're here for 16 years. You leave for 16 years. Coming back, it's a bit of a homecoming, but your eyes are also fresh. Did you find that to be an ideal opportunity? And I'm also curious, like, how had things changed in your 16 years away? Yeah, you know, it, it changed a lot. A lot of the people changed. Um, I, I honestly think uh, I actually applied to come back to Halton a few years sooner uh, and was not successful that time. And I actually think that was probably a good thing in hindsight. Uh, there were still a lot of friends uh, who I had growing up in the service that were still here. By the time I came back, um, most of the people that I was close with way back in that day were retired and had moved on. Uh, so you could really come back without any of the hindrance of, you know, expectations or someone thinking that you're just going to look after them because we were friends in the 80s. Um, so it really was coming back to an organization that you knew. Uh, I grew up in Oakville. It's my hometown. And, and so it really was a homecoming. And a lot of the senior officers I knew from my years before, and we had stayed in touch during my Guelph, Belleville, Kingston travel days. Uh, so it really was a bit of a homecoming coming back. So what would you say is the most important part of your position? You know, there's really two groups that are the most important part to me in my position as chief of police. That's the, the people who serve here as members of the Halton Regional Police Service, the men and women, the sworn and civilian members of the service that go out day after day and do such a fabulous job of keeping this the safest community, safest large community in all of Canada. Um, but the other group is the citizens that we serve. I mean, we exist to keep our public, every single citizen, as safe as we possibly can. That's why this police service is here. That's what our members do every day. And it's an incredible partnership. Okay, so I don't know if we can call it a responsibility, but let's say what role does the community play in police work? You know, they're, they're equal partners. Uh, a lot of times we say the police are just citizens who are fortunate enough to get paid to do what every citizen actually should do. So every citizen can help keep every other citizen safer. Probably 30% of our impaired driving charges now are called in by citizens who observe the behavior. Uh, so we have to work in partnership. We can't solve crimes without our citizens, without their 
doorbell cameras, without their observations, without their knowledge of different things that are going on in the community. So it really is a partnership. And our citizens here in Halton are one of the reasons that this is the safest large municipality in all of Canada, and they will help us keep them that safe. So you're now the longest serving police chief in Canada. What do you think that says about you? I guess it's longevity. Uh, don't know enough to retire. Uh, probably a combination <laughs> of uh, combination of those things. Whereas there was a chief uh, Smith in Charlottetown PEI, and I think he was the chief for 26 years in that one city. Uh, I can't imagine doing that looking back. Uh, but he was nice enough to retire about a year ago last April. And so uh, officially, mm-hmm. I become the longest serving chief in Canada. It'll be 21 years uh, this next January. So going from starting out and all of that time and working in different regions, how has the police service changed? You know, I think when we started, it really, we were uh, we were more of a military organization. Uh, we were fearful of the chief most most days as young officers. It wasn't always a bad thing. Um, but I think it's really changed. And not only has society changed and their expectations are that much greater, the accountability on the police. In 1982, there was no special investigations unit. There was no Office of the Independent Public Review Director to look at public complaints independently. Um, Charter of Rights was there, but the Young Offenders Act wasn't even in yet. Um, so all those things changed over those years. And I think I always say rightfully so, our citizens expect a lot of our police officers. We have incredible powers in our communities. We are probably have more oversight than any other profession and uh, have to make fun of my lawyer friends and doctors as well. But, you know, lawyers and doctors get to practice what they do. They actually even call it a practice. I would never say that we're out there practicing policing. Uh, The public expects too much of us. So there's a lot of pressure on our frontline officers to perform and to perform professionally and to treat people with the dignity that they deserve. And I think we do an exceptional job of that here in Halton. So you talked about the changes that have come about. Have you found that the police service attempts to make these changes first, or is it a reflection of the expectations of society? You know, I think it's a combination, but here in Halton, we've actually done a lot of things before the expectations came in. Uh, We were the very first police service in Ontario or in Canada to come out with a community safety and well-being plan, which now is legislated by the province. So every police service has to do it. And I think it speaks volumes to what our members and our senior management team and and our police services board have been able to do here to put that in place before it was required of us. We've been working on equity, diversity and inclusion before a lot of those things really came into legislation and people were forced or required to do it. We were doing it here because it's the right thing to do. And I think that's where Halton differentiates itself in a positive way from many other services and, and jurisdictions. We have, we have a long-standing Chiefs Diversity Forum or committee uh, where individuals from various backgrounds, ethnic, cultural, religious backgrounds, all come together to meet with me and with my team two or three times a year. And the benefits of those relationships being built ahead of time before something terrible happens here or somewhere else in the world means that you have that relationship and that commitment to one another ahead of time. So I think it really is the only way to do business these days. 
So, you know, you brought up 1982 and the 80s have come up a certain amount of time. Obviously, since that time, you know, technology has changed a little bit. Uh, has that made your job and generally policing more difficult, competing against technology or in the reverse, has the technology assisted the police service to enforce easier? Yeah, you know, it's a great question because, again, it's really done both. I mean, 1982, when I got into that car the first time and really learned how to fold and unfold the paper map and figure out where I was going when the dispatcher told me voice only where I needed to go. Years later, it was mobile workstations that we have in, in the vehicles and it's digital information coming back and forth and it's GPS that's in the vehicles now so officers don't have to look those things up. It's an officer now that can drive through Oakville or anywhere in Halton and have pop up information about perhaps a serious criminal who lives in the area so that they're a, a situational awareness. Um, but on the, on the downside, sometimes uh, iPhones, they can be our best friend and our worst enemy. Um, they make us sometimes work 16 hours a day uh, and you can't shut it off. And it was interesting. The, uh, the CEO of, of RIM spoke to a um, group of us as police leaders many years ago. And someone said, you know, don't you feel guilty that you've taken our our private time away from us? And and he said, you know what, I invented the BlackBerry. I didn't invent the type A personality. So if you choose to turn it on 24 hours a day, that's up to you. But don't blame BlackBerry at the time. Um, so I think there's some lessons to be learned on when we tune into technology and when we learn to shut it off at some point. How do you promote uh, the work-life balance, though, is essentially what you're talking about here within, you know, everyone that works with you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And it's probably a split sometimes or in some ways, depending on our uniform or civilian members or what they do. Uh, and even within our uniform sworn members, there's different jobs and areas of expertise where they may be required to be on call. Um, some can do the whole break away from work and turn your devices off. And that's fair because they're not in frontline emergency types of situations, but others can't. Um, and, and we appreciate that, but we're also looking at the balance and COVID brought some of it, uh, to us, the whole work from home types of scenarios. Of course, our uniform officers generally can't do that or our dispatchers or frontline civilians. But there are some that can, so we have to take a very good look at that and strike a balance, not only for their personal wellness, and we, we do a lot of organizational wellness here, um, but also to attract talent and to keep talent because we would have people leave here if they could work from home somewhere else. So, you know, it's a new reality for us. You know, I, I, I hate to keep harping on technology, but I, I want to talk social media here because I feel like it does make your job well it can be both right i mean you could have eyes out there of citizens that wish to assist you but can also sometimes get in the way but along with that you know you have these people maybe finding one another that wouldn't know each other outside of social media and you know there's a certain amount of anonymity there um how do you tune out the noise i think is what i'm asking here you know, it's hard because uh, even myself, I can find myself trapped in looking at everything that's on my Twitter account or different accounts that we have or our, our corporate accounts. Um, sometimes I try to force myself to look at who is saying something uh, and all of those sorts of accounts where there's less than 10 followers. 
probably don't matter. <laughs> the so burner Jimmy, accounts. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've done some things here that have gone viral and some discussions that I've had with uh, federal or provincial politicians. And, and a lot of people like to jump on board those things and make controversy when perhaps there isn't. So we have to uh, strike that balance. But then we put we put pictures and video of criminals onto social media, um, such as Twitter. And we have people phoning in saying, well, that's so-and-so. As someone was just saying in a public event we were having the, the other day, one of our officers was talking about how successful that is uh, and said, sometimes we have the people whose pictures are on there as suspects phoning and saying, please take my picture off. Now, I don't know if they're confessing to the crime or not at that point, but uh, uh, the point is it really reaches a large audience. So we can't turn back from it. Uh, and we have to use social media and traditional media, whether it's TV, radio, print media, and all the journalists and and people that we come to know over the years to our advantage and to their advantage. But it's got to be a two-way street. And uh, so we work very proactively in that way with our, our traditional media as well. Even just the way that uh, people speak nowadays, pronouns, you know, different language that would have been just fine when you started and now it is no longer. How have you managed to evolve and take all of that in and be respectful to it and not let it interfere in the way that you conduct yourself and do your job? You know, I, I think as we evolve as as policing as a profession, as a police service or an individual officer, civilian member or chief of police, um, we've become much more in tune with the realities of our society. Um, things are normal today that weren't normal in the 1980s. Um, people were bullied for different things. Now, they can still be bullied for different things. Our LGBT community, uh, anti-Semitism, acts of violence that are going on against Islamic uh, individuals, Islamophobia. But as we learn more about Every individual has the same rights, regardless of their background or their lives. Uh, I think it lends a legitimacy to how we deal with people. Um, that's where we've come out with the like no hate in Halton campaigns, because it is really about everybody. It's about inclusion. It's not just about tolerance. Um, so if we keep that in the back of our minds and we, we emphasize that in training to our frontline people all the time, and we do a lot of other training so that our officers and our civilians are more in tune and knowledgeable about how the diversity is now in our communities. Um, they're all the much better for it. In such a long career, um, looking back, and I know you're not done yet. I'm not saying you're done yet. But, Absolutely you know, not. Okay. I think we had that conversation yep, once. Yep. So I, but uh, I, what do you, what do you think your legacy is? You know, I, I hope that uh, a legacy would include making not only the police service better, more efficient, effective, you know, low crime stats, high crime clearances, but also an organization and individuals that are more caring. Um, so there is that honest feeling in our community and for more of our citizens that when they call the police, the police come and they do treat everyone with dignity and um you know, very caring individuals, because that's really what we have out there. Um, there's a lot of misperceptions on how police deal with situations. And that probably is the way it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, some horrendous things went on. But I want that legacy to be helping just one cog in the wheel to help policing become even more professional, 
and more caring and more inclusive. You know, we have spoken a lot of generalities, but you know, you're right here in front of me and I'm curious, is there something for you that sticks out that you are very proud of in your time as chief that you have put in place and people will know you for? Yeah, you know, there's there's probably a couple of things, but one of them is internally here, our organizational wellness unit. And uh, certainly the deputies and I came up with almost the concept of having our own full-time organizational wellness unit here in Halton a few years ago. Um, we, we hear the tremendous stories of our own members who that unit is now caring for or putting them in touch with the help that they need but we have individuals who have members of our service who have spoken publicly in the form of video and otherwise uh, of having suicidal thoughts because of some of the trauma that they've experienced in their careers. And certainly life goes on outside of their careers as well. And it can be very complicated, but when you have someone who is, I don't want to use the word, I guess helped is the best word um, through a difficult time because something like an organizational wellness unit has been put in place and the resources have been put into that to make it a priority. And then you hear the actual stories where someone has been saved. That's very, very important to us and to me. That has the personal touch to it. I'm going to ask you, Chief, because I had to throw it here as we get towards the end of this. So when do you know when enough is enough? You seem like a gentleman who shows up at work every day and still loves what he does. It's 40 years. Uh, it feels like 15 or 20. Okay. Um, so if it feels like 15 or 20 and a normal career is 30 or 35, there's still a bit, uh, still a bit left, but I've always said, and it, and it's true. If you truly love what you do, you never go to work. You never have to go to work a day in your life. You actually get to go to work. Uh, there was a, a broadcaster, I think, a, a sports broadcaster that was brought in to speak to the university of Alabama crimson tide, uh, football team one time. It was kind of a motivational sort of thing. And. And he said, I have a get to job. I don't have a have to job. So as long as it's a get to job, that thing that you love that you get to do, it's not a job. You have to break away and use your vacation time and, and have some time to yourself and family and friends and all those things. But if it's uh, if if part of your life is that get to job that you enjoy going to, I, th I think the other way of looking at it is, is when people start start to wake up in the morning to the alarm clock and wish they didn't have to go to work, then that's probably when it's time. Um, some sports, some professional athletes have to learn when it's time in different ways. So I think policing is not that different than that. As long as you can still make a positive difference and it feels good to do what you do, then keep doing it. Well, I'm going to let you keep doing it because we're sitting here and you've got a lot to do today. So I'm going to let you go, but I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Chief. Great. Thank you very much. It's been incredible to get together with you. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please check out other episodes of Halton Police, The True Blue on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up to date with us on social media under the handle at Halton Police.